and welcome to the very 142nd episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast all about board games. There are loads of them now, and they're coming to get you. And, as sometimes, I am joined by the most wonderful Ava Fox Fort. I'm sometimes. You're sometimes here, you're sometimes not, but always a treasure. Oh, thank you. That's How lovely. nice. Aren't, That's I, lovely. aren't I polite? Isn't that lovely? What are we talking about today, Tom? I'm really excited about it, but I want you to be the one who lets the people know. We're talking about just one game on this podcast, and it's going to be our first impressions of Oath, which is going to be a bit of a loosey-goosey episode, uh, I think, uh, in this podcast, ahead of some video coverage, hopefully, within the next few uh, months, years. I think it's going to take you months to be ready to actually review this. Um, I know. I, I, I'm really excited for your review, but like, we're, we're just going to need a lot of digging. It's like in, in insert sort of like a rocky training montage here of me like <laughs> just pounding a copy of Oath with my fist until it like shatters, and then it's like now I can review. Holding it above your I'm head thinking. and marching up and down stairs repeatedly, like it's a big box as well. It's a big box. It's true. The number one concern of our audience is going to be how dang heavy is this thing, um, and it's not like gameplay wise, just pure weight. Pure um, weight. It's 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 heavy. I was lifting it up, bringing it up the stairs, and it is the shape of this box. Right? If you imagine the new Twilight Imperium, but you had to. It was a three layer Victoria sponge cake. Yeah. <laughs> And you you lifted off the top layer, like one third of a Twilight Imperium. And that's about all uh, for our review of Oath this week. (laughs) I'm really glad we finally got to give our first impressions of this game. (laughs) (laughs) Neither of us have actually played it. We've just been lifting it up and down. Welcome to Shut Up and Sit Down Quarantine Edition, where we haven't been playing anything. (laughs) We're just holding and looking at games forlornly and lovingly and hopefully so oath is the latest game from Lader games who are a publisher who became phenomenally successful with the release of root uh, an asymmetrical four-player game about being woodland creatures fighting each other all the time they've released another game in between called fort but oath is a game that is coming from the killer design and illustration combo of cole Worley and kyle ferron who are the same people um, behind Root. And in terms of genre, Oath is a whole soup of different things. It's kind of a war game, it's kind of a tableau builder, it's kind of a political game, it's kind of a legacy game, and it's kind of a role-playing game. But fundamentally, if you know these two games, the best way to think of it is that it's kind of a halfway house between Root and Pax Pamir, arguably the designer Cole Worley's two most popular games. Even that is kind of uh, a little restrictive. The game is both more and less than those games in a bunch of weird ways. And we'll get into all of that later, I'm sure. But first, I should probably set out the premise of the game. Bear with me, this might take a while. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, give us an enormous mountain of exposition about the premise of this game, please, So at the start of any game of Oath, you will have one player being the Chancellor, and the Chancellor rules everything. They're purple, and they're everywhere like goo. And that's good, right? 
their oath, eh, it's the name of the game, uh, their oath to the people of this land is at the start of the game to maintain supremacy. Their goal is to maintain supremacy, rule the most of the map for as long as possible. Because if they're still keeping the oath during the later stages of the game, they've got a chance at winning. And if they time out the game to the very end, then they're probably going to win by default. Now that's just one player, they're the chancellor, they're the big ruler. The rest of the players are gonna start as exiles. They start with nothing and they need to find their own ways of winning. And one option of how to win is to keep the oath better than the chancellor. If they end up ruling more stuff than the chancellor, then they'll usurp and the people will accept their new leader because you did a better job at ruling than the last one. Um, but this is tricky, though, because the Chancellor starts quite powerful. They have majority control of the map, and they can go for longer without getting knackered. So another option for the Exiles is to have a Vision, and these are cards buried in this big main deck, and they will allow quicker ways of winning by fulfilling certain goals. Um, think like a Dominance card from Root. They're these, at the start of your turn, you win if you fulfill this goal. And those goals can be things like finding a bunch of treasure, or basically being very popular with the people, or by holding a dark and terrible secret. Um, but there is one final twist to this soup of victory conditions. Um, the Chancellor might start to struggle keeping a lid on all this chaos in their kingdom, and so they've got the option of offering citizenship to exiles, meaning that they can join the Empire and help to keep the oath. And like, <laughs> service guarantees citizenship? Is that a thing? From... Star Wars troopers. What? I'm going to make some nerds no, very angry wait, with that. You're, No, you're thinking of Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein, I, which is... I, I know I am. I'm just fascism. saying... Oh, you got me! very you angry. You can't, mate, you, like, the, the, the joke is that we don't know the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. You can't bring in, like, a random, like, <laughs> other actually quite niche bit of things <laughs> just because they've got the word star in. I can, and well, I What will. you should have gone with there, frankly, is you should, as is, service gives you citizenship, just like in Paul Verhoeven's show, Showgirls. <laughs> That would have been a joke that I could have gotten down with. Yeah. Wouldn't have had to do this lengthy digression. Instead, the the <laughs> listeners have been given pure nonsense. Um, it's okay, anyway. Tom. You can cut it. Okay, so in the short term, giving citizenship to an exile helps the Chancellor because they get more power to help them keep the oath because the citizen only gets a shot at winning if the oath is being kept. So they've got to, in this case, help the Chancellor rule the most stuff. However... The citizen can also try and complete a successor goal, which means they win alone and become the next chancellor if they fulfill their own extra bit of criteria that they also need to manage. So in a nutshell, the setup for the game is that you have a chancellor who rules and a load of players who want to scurry around and win in weird different ways underneath them. And the way that games often pan out is with the chancellor having to put out all of these little fires as they spring up and the exiles and citizens sort of bashing each other around a little to try and get what they want to win at the start of their turn that's a very basic overview of what the game is we'll get more into like what do you do on a turn later but i want to start by just saying that like this produces some fascinating dynamics between the players and creates all these weird game states and these political struggles like ava i don't know whether you want to talk about how our most recent game of this kind of panned out well 
so one of the interesting things that we've not quite talked about at the moment is that like each game sets up the next game so we've talked about the idea of the oath being to have the most sites on the board but actually that's not going to be the same case every time it's going to depend on how someone won the last game that you played uh although both of our games have been about that um and yeah the second game that we played was a absolute state of things like with these <laughs> hilarious kind of impossible things like borderline role playing perhaps people were being significantly suboptimal but also most of the time people were just trying to find a way to win um but yeah so we had one person as the chancellor and i started off as their citizen which was entirely because i had thrown the previous game uh because tom annoyed me um and i'd made someone else win and i was like okay well that means that i should be their their citizen next time that i've helped them win mm -hmm. so i spent the entire game saying oh i am don't worry i am the most loyal subject you could possibly have whilst stealing the scepter of office <laughs> from the chancellor so that they no longer had the power to exile or offer people citizenships and i ran around going no it's fine don't worry i'm looking after it for you i'm being a very loyal citizen <laughs> building up my account of relics which was what i needed to have as many of as possible to be able to to win the game if the chancellor won the game right so that's the setup there and about halfway through the game i just start being like hey vlad do you want to do you fancy just uh do you want to be do you want to be a citizen <laughs> <laughs> which was winding up the chance at no end so i offer citizenship to someone by taking one like they get an uh, they got an artifact out of it but i got an artifact off them which meant that i was still in the lead for that and they almost immediately was it another round i can't remember almost immediately yeah. stole the scepter off me <laughs> and then we as two citizens bickered and fought for the rest of the game kind of passive aggressively kind of constantly trying to get those artifacts and get ahead of the other people and have more stuff in our in our pockets yeah and basically we we did so badly by winding each other up that the chancellor who had spent the entire game thinking like i've lost this i've got no chance i've had <laughs> my scepter taken away from me all of the things that i need to win have gone because me and vlad my fellow citizen were had been beefing with each other so much we were tied which meant that the chancellor won um mm -hmm. by default out of and it was what a i mean yeah what a bizarre so and ridiculous thing yeah <laughs> what i i wanted to get at right is that like that is like a story that happened in one of our games and similar stories have happened in each game where the way that these victory conditions overlap and crunch into each other create these ridiculous stories and fantastic role-playing situations where people enter these strange pacts that exist both within the game and also outside of it because of how the legacy stuff works and we'll get into that a bit later um but like a, a good example of that game being i thought my favorite part of the whole game was there was this bickering amongst the empire everyone was squabbling for relics and now it's mine and, and it was this petty nonsense that was happening and i was off brewing a rebellion in a different part of the map and as soon as i became powerful enough all of you turned on me and demolished me for one turn <laughs> so you could get back to squabbling. <laughs> which was just like 
delightfully thematic yeah um, and, it, and and really good fun and and one thing that like we, we kind of skipped over a little bit was that like the exiles have these visions which means that they can think and you can keep that vision secret for as long as you want people will know that you're holding on to a vision and they can guess that it's one of the four ways of winning or the fifth vision which is actually a sneaky very weird little rule that i won't go into um but so you have an idea that they're brewing something but in order to actually win with a vision you do have to make it visible you have to put it into your revealed vision thing which means you basically have to declare to the entire board this is what i am going for Mm. if you can stop me from having this then you i can't win right so it's all this idea of like a lot of the time you're declaring a way that you're going to win so that everyone has a chance to go go for you because you have to have it visible at the beginning of your turn and be fulfilling the criteria on that thing um and all of the game is like this like it's so obvious what you're going for like if you are a citizen it it is very clear what you're supposed to be doing you're supposed to be helping Mm. the chancellor win you don't have a lot of power you can fight the chancellor although it's a bad idea because you suddenly lose all of the benefits of being on the chancellor's side uh Mm -hmm. but you can't you you you're still trying to get them to win like unless you're planning on exiling yourself and winning by an alternative method which again is absolutely possible you know that you're trying to get the chance to win but then also at the same time have you be in a strong state within within that yes empire and so these kind of like this kind of like cascading hierarchy of different ways of winning is all really clear like for as much as as much as it's a game that's quite hard to get across particularly when you're first teaching it how do you win what are you trying to do it is actually there's a fairly simple flow chart of what are the things that you can do and it is not Mm -hmm. possible for someone to win by surprise right like yes it's possible that's very true it's quite often comes down to the last moment of the game and a dice roll of whether this is going to be the end of the game or not or whether someone's going to be able to beat someone else or all of these different things but it's never wholly a surprise because there's always (laughs) the warning signs like everything is telegraphed far enough in advance that if you're paying attention you should be able to see what people are doing and have time to to challenge that right i think that's fair yeah and, and and we should talk about that dice roll as well because i feel like that's something that's going to be quite controversial with oh, <laughs> some there's so many there's so many things that are controversial in this game <laughs> design but let's yeah let's start with this one we'll get into all of those but let's start with the big one which is the chancellor whose basic idea is that the chancellor wins by default they just want to carry on their sort of empire yeah. They want to just time out the game for as long as possible. And as you start getting into the later rounds of the game, if the Chancellor is still the boss, you roll a dice to determine if they win. And it starts off, you need to roll a six. And then the round after that, you need to roll a five or a six. And then a, th- and then a three, four, five or six. And then finally win by default. Yeah. But it creates this fantastic dynamic, this idea of the Chancellor just having the potential to win on a dice roll where they are immediately set up as the bad guy in a lot of ways unless you have citizens in the game yeah. like and i've not seen a game have this kind of not asymmetry necessarily mechanics so i don't think the chancellor isn't wildly different mechanically to the exiles yeah. but asymmetry in sort of how players feel towards that player from the outset just by being the chancellor no one likes you yeah <laughs> 
unless you have a game with lots of citizens in, which again can be an entirely different box of frogs. But, oh, but even then, they don't even like then, the chancellor. They don't like you. Yeah, they're still trying. <laughs> no. You know that they're still only in it for themselves. Like there is no. The game does quite a good job of creating team a team kind of vibe to it while still having everyone like absolutely, unless they're throwing the game in the way that I did, absolutely it's clear what they're, that they're self-interested, they're going to do this for their own mm-hmm. purposes. Like there's a lot of yes. opportunities for role play that mean that people might step outside of that, but in ter- in game terms, you win alone. Like, you can make the Empire win as a citizen and win. And for what? And yeah, you know? and if, 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 you, if the Chancellor's on top when you do that, you've lost. You, you know that you've lost. It's very, very explicit mm-hmm. about that and very clean about that. Um, and yeah, and there is something also about, like, I find it hilarious watching someone be the Chancellor because <laughs> it's so interesting, this kind of idea. Like, they start off very well positioned like in our second game they started off owning almost half of the map already Mm -hmm. um which isn't how it is in setup and it isn't going to be that in every game so it's worth pointing out absolutely everything we say at this game there is the potential for it to not be the case for the majority of your games like it's hard to tell what is an outlier and what is the standard play of the game because it is all about creating weird situations well that's that's all to do with the legacy stuff which we'll get into yeah. uh later on uh, although maybe it'll cr- crop up here and there but essentially at the end of a game the way that the map finishes at the end of one game is how it starts in the next so it carries on between each game or elements of it do yeah so a lot of the stuff that happened in our games is kind of our fault yeah, 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 <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. and this is something i really want to get into later because i think that the and this is a little teaser for maybe the review maybe i think this is maybe one of the smartest legacy systems and that's legacy in air quotes because some of it is like it's definitely not a traditional legacy system but i think it's fascinating well, it's not just dist- it's non-destructive like you don't destroy anything like it is it's more of a very long-lived um campaign structure than mm-hmm. than than strict legacy there's no writing on th- or there is a bit of writing on things but only as a kind of bonus extra outside of the main games there's no destroying components um, but you are creating a new world but anyway we're jumping into that and i've remembered what the thread that i lost for a second there was which was like yes get back to our it. Chan- the <laughs> chancellors that we had all started off so strong um and with so much control over the board and so many powers because control over the board isn't just like ah, i own all of the territory so you can't come where i am people can go wherever you are but you have access to so many powers, so much more mm-hmm. uh, ability and flexibility. And so the chance to starts off with this, but starts off with everybody gunning for them in one way or another and people trying mm-hmm. to go after them and having to just watch things fall apart. Like, you know, like very clearly yes. both of our chancellors had this uh, in the games that I played, you've played more games than me, so you may be able to speak to, to different versions of this. <laughs> but like, we're just uh, just sitting there going, "Oh no, what what you're doing? What to me now? You can do that? <laughs> oh, oh no!" <laughs> just like this constant pile of things falling apart, which is such like a like the game is trying to get across like the the generational flows of history, right? And the idea that like circumstances get built by civilizations then civilizations or 
or countries or nations or groups of people or ideologies or ideas even something takes hold and is stable for a while and then <laughs> I tries to make every game kind of cut into focus at the point at which everything is starting to fall apart mm. right it's trying to get people at yes the empire at like its peak and when it's just about to fall apart and you watch the way it falls apart or maybe barely holds together by creating something new and then it fades to black and it opens up again to a generation down the line when everything's starting to fall apart again and so you're always getting this like dramatic political upheaval portion of history and you are creating a history like that was the thing that i felt was so striking about our game was that like legacy elements aside like i don't think this was really about what was um kept from one game to the next but just just the simple fact of the idea that whoever wins the last game is recommended to be the chancellor for the next game right Mm-hmm. And that means that... And bringing any citizens with bringing, them over to the next yeah, game Yeah, optionally well. bringing citizens with them. So they get to offer and say, right, you're going to stay my citizen or you can abandon or whatever. And I just think that's so that's so clever and it's so so much fun. Because <laughs> we actually, you know, the winner of our, our first game had to pull out. So the person I was being chancellor to wasn't actually the person who I had sworn fealty to in the previous game. <laughs> um, but that was fine because we could we could update the new player on um, on our history, on what had happened and where that was coming from and what this situation created. And it could still influence the game in a way that felt really good in a way that like took a lot of stuff that would normally be considered metagaming or um i, I want to say unprofessional but that's not why i guess unsportsman like maybe like that's probably the most uncharitable <laughs> yeah. way of saying it is like things that are actually a little bit on the border of unfair and making them be a part of the game like and making them be a part of the story and the narrative that you're telling and yeah that's cool right it's it's it is incredibly cool like the way that you're saying that you're updating people on the history of the game i think that's maybe one of my favorite parts is saying to someone the way the history of my copy of oath at the moment is i played a couple of games with one group then i've taken it away and played it with a different group and then i'm going to bring it back to the original group um we basically put it into tabletop simulator and then i'm going to bring it back out of tabletop simulator again into the real world and being able to tell the people who i originally played the game with how irreparably damaged the world is now because of the events of the past few games yeah. is wonderful um i was about to say uh I was, I was about to jump in here and say before we get sidetracked let's talk about how the game is structured after we've I've got realized sidetracked, our sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> we've been delightfully sidetracked but i'm just going to do a little bit of because i think that when it boils down to it the actual turn-by-turn structure of the game is fairly not too complicated to understand and i just want to go over it for people that want to know what the actual bulk of the game it's it's not complicated it's just weird right (laughs) it's very weird the way that i was explaining it um to some friends was that each action works exactly as you expect it to with a big twist (laughs) um so I'll just I'll very briefly go over what the actual structure of a, of a game is, and then I want to talk about the cards because I think that the, talking about oath without talking about the cards is huge. So we'll get we'll get round to yeah. that. But it's also like I just want to just want to kind of jump in there and just be like, I think that it's worth noting that 
everything we've talked about so far is even though we have got stuck in the weed and got sidetracked a bit all of that is like exceptionally high level stuff right like this is mm-hmm. your this is pretty much entirely about what are your objectives and what's the narrative that are told by those right and i think that yes. i'm really glad that we're getting a chance to like kind of refocus and just be like right actually now that we've told you all of that really exciting cool weird stuff that might be getting you really hype what is it what's the detail of this game so tom it's your job take it again <laughs> yeah thanks <laughs> So the way uh, the game is played over eight rounds uh, and each round, everyone takes one turn. And on your turn, you'll take any number of actions that will let you do various things by spending supply that refreshes at the end of each turn. So effectively, you start each turn with a number of action points. If you want to think of it that way, you spend those action points and the next person has their go and you keep going around till late rounds have gone. And these actions are things like going on grand battles or mustering forces or traveling between regions or discovering ancient relics. And you're also likely to be doing a lot of trading to pay for those actions. So Oath has two currencies. Um, Favor is the first, and I think we're probably going to accidentally call it coins or money because that's what it looks like, even though it represents more than that. But you'll spend favor to do things like muster warbands or pay for card effects by placing that favor, those coins, on cards. Thematically, it's like I might muster warbands from a rowdy pub by placing a favor on that rowdy pub card. Now, at the end of that turn, that money slips off the card and into the matching bank of that card's suit. So by paying money to the rowdy pub, which I think is a hearth card, uh, I'm making the hearth suit more affluent in this world. And then secrets, on the other hand, they look like little blue books and they work very similarly, but they come back to you at the end of a turn rather than going into any kind of matching bank. So effectively, they're a way of like permanently generating favor, uh, but they are also needed to activate some of the weirder effects in the game. Um, And sometimes the currency can get burned and removed from the game, which is always exciting. But what you're probably going to be doing a lot of is searching because you're going to want to supplement those actions with cards that you get through searching the deck and the discard piles and these cards are kind of the secret backbone of the game we'll get into that in just a second but the way that those actions work is pretty simple you know you are mustering as example you pay a coin to get some people and you put them on your board traveling you spend some supply to move from one region to another and some regions have special effects that make it easier or harder to move between regions and battling Battling is probably the most complicated part of Oath, so we won't get fully into it, but it allows you to target anything on the map from your opponent's sites where they rule to their personal player piece to the treasure that they've got on them. So campaigning can represent anything from a huge widespread battle to like a fight in that rowdy pub uh, over a very special drum that someone's holding. Um, And all of it is done through these very mean, very swingy dice uh, where often winning isn't about whether you can do it, but more about how much you're willing to sacrifice to get what you want out of it so the cut and thrust of the game is spending your turn doing these actions trying to find an efficient path or trying to achieve a specific goal for one turn so you can get yourself into a place where you're going to win the game But let's cycle back to those cards, because a lot of the cards have extra actions on them. So a card might have a little thing where you have to spend one of the currency to do a certain thing. Um, And that thing might be, you know, stealing something from another player or destroying one of their warbands. Or maybe a really spicy card might be something like taking a whole sight off of a player all in one go. And these cards have a kind of 
they're all very unique and very interesting. They come in six different suits, and each suit kind of has a rough theme. So, like, Discord is backstabby and mean, uh, Hearth is cozy and wealthy, and Order is brute force and control. Uh, and these cards can be carried around with your player piece as advisors, so they give your bonus to you and only you wherever you are. Or they can be installed at the actual sites on the board, where they'll give the bonus to anyone who is there, or the person who rules that site, wherever they might be. That's a really key rule that I think I glossed over in my first few games, and then as I've played it more, ruling sites in that game is about gathering a collection of abilities that you're going to be able to use at the drop of a hat um, to accomplish these weird plays. And I think these cards are really the backbone because they have some pretty wild uh, thematic and swingy powers and they'll produce the bulk of the diversity and strategy between players and they'll sort of shape the way the game goes each time and they're also important because each game is going to change the balance of those suits uh, in a way that we'll get to later on but but <laughs> ava we both had some problems with these cards as cool as they are in that sometimes they become a maybe a source of randomness that feels a little bad in some games yeah so there's there's a really frustrating thing that's going on in this in that the cards are serving two purposes so we've got these six different suits for each of the cards and each of them has actions that are thematically tied to the suits or at least the the theming of them is so the the way the illustrations which are instantly fabulous like. oh they are i want a very super brief detour here to say i am so glad that carl ferrin gets to illustrate this game because like i love the art in route it's fantastic it's some of my favorite art in games ever but seeing carl ferrin's art on a much more diverse set of things is just joyous yeah. every card is a treat to look at yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um, absolutely every card's a treat to look at and, it, and and that's that's one of the big bits of delight right is that you get to search in this deck and you get to see new things and each game some of those could be completely new things that you've never seen before mm -hmm. um and that promise of like the the, the the sheer size of the deck of cards that slowly filters into each game is so big and I'm so excited for that. And I'm still so excited for that right now. Uh, but in the game, the cards are basically serving two purposes. They've got these actions that come about from being in the right location, having them as your, or having them as your advisors, or owning that site because you have war bands on it, which basically means you rule that and you've got your control there. Um and that's fine. Like, it's it's ridiculous because it's quite swingy because there are, like, some of these cards are ridiculous. Like, most of them have big drawbacks <laughs> if they're enormous. Like, there's a couple that are, like, when you play this card, it does something ridiculous. Like, the way that I stole the scepter from my chancellor was by doing a when-played action that meant I got a one-off chance to blackmail them and be like, right, you either <laughs> give me three money or give me this thing because I've just stolen it from you and you can have it back. I knew that I didn't have the money, so uh, I was fine. I didn't have to. <laughs> I just I just got it. I got to steal it. <laughs> the, the cards themselves are quite swingy and interesting and potentially some people will find fault there. But my problem with it was less about the fact that they're also... The, the decks of these cards... The suits of these cards, rather, are part of a, a really integral part of the economy of the game. 
in that in order to get stuff, in order to get secrets and favour, you get more favour and the only way to get secrets is to have some of your advisors matching cards on locations where you're going to, right? Which means that there needs to be suits that are on the board that you also have in your hand. And you only get three cards in your hand and there's six mm-hmm. suits, which means that it's quite <laughs> easy for the board to fill up with maybe four of the suits represented and none others. None of like two suits completely missing from the board or in places that are too far away potentially. Um, while you might have the other two suits as your advisors. And to some extent, you've created that situation, right? But to some extent, yeah. you might have spent several turns in a row digging through the world deck looking for things of the right suit and just never finding them never finding the thing that's actually useful for what you're trying to do and what you want to do and i cannot but i can't begin to i can't overstate how frustrating it is to have a game with this many tricks and levers and pulls and things and to actually just feel like you're locked out of it I, I can see that there's there's definitely a scope for like I've had a lot of games where because searching very quickly becomes a very expensive action yeah. to take, and let's say I need you know there's order cards all over the board and I need an order card to go and trade with them and get money and and spin up my engine, and I draw my hand of cards and I've got and I go oh yeah a blue order card and then I realise that you can only play it to a yeah. site and not your advisors and that locks me out of the trading and then oh look I've got this beast card and there's a beast card oh but there's no money in that bank and I don't want to put the money because it's a closed economy as well Carl Worley loves his closed economies yeah. um, and it's just that randomness is the only part of randomness in the game or that I that I find deeply frustrating and it kind of it can create an interesting game state. We you know oh, one player was scrabbling to find the thing they needed, and that's maybe an interesting part of a story, but it definitely can feel that's the only part of the game that I think feels really bad sometimes. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's definitely like there's there's dead ends in it that aren't entirely your fault. That aren't something that you've yes. fallen into. It's and and it may be a bit your fault because you may have not read the board but a game state and you may not have paid attention. You may have got too excited about the power of a card without looking at whether the suit was the most valuable thing. This is the thing, one of my major sort of caveats with it, is that I think that it's a game that is actually easier to teach than I thought um, from first blush. Like I thought it was going to be an impossible game to teach and it actually came together pretty quickly. But the strategy of the game is so hard to grok the first time as a new player especially. But even like, I think I'm eight games in now and it's still, there's so many different little systems that it's it's hard to, exactly pinpoint what you should be doing at any given time but if you let go of that it's intensely fun to be part of it um it's just whether or not people are looking for this incredibly solid strategic experience from game one and one of the things that might mitigate the the luck of the card draw is that i've realized as my games have gone on because there's this pact with my group that they really want the order cards in the deck they'll often give the win to someone if they promise to put more order into the deck (laughs) um it's a very strange situation they want to run a sort of authoritarian state at this point (laughs) but now that order because uh, at the end of each game the chancellor or the winner whoever that may be will put more cards of one suit into the game so now our deck is skewed quite significantly towards order so finding one of those cards is like a hot button way to get favor and secrets and stuff which is 
interesting, but that only comes after a few games. So it's teaching it to a new player and being like, oh, also, let me just update you on the exact card balance <laughs> of the game is a hard sell yeah. um, for a first and game. And frustrating that it means that there's, the, there's a quite high potential of people to pull a card that is really exciting and would add loads of real, like, weird spice to the game and then to look at it mm-hmm. and then look at the board and just go, oh, no, I can't take that because if I take that, I am passing up this, which is the thing that will actually yes. get my economy going and get my get me get me like digging for stuff and and starting to to play the core game rather than doing the exciting thing. And that and of course you 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 can chase a card down the discard yeah. piles. You know you can if you if you see a card one turn and you want it the next, you can go and dig for it another pile. But then you know you're saying it's a maximum of nine supply. Most of the time you're going to be on you know six or seven. So you're spending two two to search, two to move, two to search. That's almost all of your turn just getting some cards, yeah. um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if the game is going at a good clip. But sometimes you can feel like. You, you'll end your turn and be like, and uh, I, I guess that's my turn. <laughs> and it's frustrating um, when other people are pulling off like ludicrously like overpowered and hilarious combos if you can't just yes. get into the spirit of just being like, oh my God, you're doing what? How are you? And, mm-hmm. and there is so much of that in this game. There's so much spice and ridiculousness and big handfuls of dice that, could go yep. completely against someone like so that first game right m- m- sort of quasi miserable time i was enjoying it the whole time because i was I could see so much potential in the system and i was so <laughs> excited by the general vibe of what was going on and what other people were doing but for me i was like i just know that i'm out of the running because i'm just having to spend all of my turn searching and i can't really dig myself out of this hole no matter how clever i try to be um but that game ended with like this absolute delight of like you absolutely stomping me to steal steal a relic was it a relic or a banner <laughs> off me you like annihilated me and annihilated <laughs> yourself doing it like i i was quite weak throughout this game like i hadn't got many war bands up because i was spending too much time trying to get my economy going and, and doing this digging and stuff so i was quite weak and off at a corner so tom comes along with like what looked like about 20 warbands, but that's not even possible because there's not that many in each player's color, but just came along and was just like, hi, I'm going to stomp you now. The dice went really badly for him, which didn't mean he couldn't beat me. It just meant that he lost all of his warbands on getting me. <laughs> and then on the way out, he turns around and says to me, oh yeah, uh, Hal's going to win if you don't, um, <laughs> if you don't beat him up now. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like we- tom tom <laughs> you absolutely had the power to beat him up and Hal was in this situation on your turn and you know <laughs> that i am doing really badly and really and don't have a chance and i was just like no tom i'm not even gonna try it i'm just gonna let Hal win <laughs> like i'm gonna come and fight you <laughs> for no reason and no effect <laughs> That in and of itself is going to produce something that it, it's the word that some people love, some people don't. It has a lot of king making yeah. in this game and chasing the leader. You have a situation where one player is going to win, so everyone gangs up to stop them, and then another player is going to win, everyone gangs up to stop them, and then often maybe the player who's third or fourth ends up winning because everyone has wasted their resources fighting each <laughs> one of these people. But 
every time that's happened in every single one of my games, it's been very thematic and there's been a twist of role playing and I've not cared because I know that game is part of a bigger story. In a lot of my games, someone who has done really badly has come first because everyone has exhausted themselves in other ways. But it's made sense in the context of the game. Um, And that, that is kind of, that sits okay with me because I'm approaching it as a game that's more thematically satisfying than perhaps strategically satisfying yeah. i think it's really worth um if you are if you are interested in this game and you're not sure about some of the stuff that we've just said about uh, one thing that i would recommend if you are about as nerdy as me um is in the gdc <laughs> vault uh, there is a um presentation by carl worley um which i believe is called king making a defense and it's basically an hour-long <laughs> lecture or half-hour-long lecture where Carl Worley goes into what kingmaking is, what are the problems with it, what about it is is good, actually. Um, and I would recommend watching that and getting a sense of what Carl Worley thinks about kingmaking. And if you can get on board with that, if you can get on board with the idea um, that like this particular game group that I kind of let Tom invade so that he could teach me how to play this game so that I didn't have to learn it myself, even though I had already uh, learned it all. <laughs> I had actually gone through the whole of the rule book and I was just like, I don't know how to teach this, Tom, come and help, please. Um, this particular group is what I know is super on board with uh, role playing and making this doing what is right for the story on the basis of what has happened so far and we have games and this what this was a case of it was very clearly if Hal didn't win there was a good chance Tom was going to win if I definitely didn't want Tom to win there was no way I could win and Hal was going to win if I didn't do something about it and like you know we had like a 10 minute discussion (laughs) right yes about what I should do and whether it was right for me to do this and whether it was okay and like what and it was but it just boiled down to Tom you were just what's a what's a polite word for (laughs) (laughs) you absolute plum (laughs) you come in here (laughs) and you've beaten me up and you've then asked me to help you win (laughs) and it's like (laughs) I'm not going to help you win for the sake of making this game be the fairest thing and doing the right thing. And there is a bit of me, Mm -hmm. there is a bit of me that is like, oh no, it's really important. Like games are competition and part of like the the magic circle and agreement of the game is that everyone's going to try their hardest to win, right? And Mm -hmm. if you you are all of the way down that end of the gamey spectrum, right, then you're not going to like this game. You know, I can quite. I think I can quite safely say, if you think that games should be like tight, fair, competitive things, um, where everyone is always trying to win, and nothing wobbly ever happens with the victory conditions and the way that people end up having to help each yeah, other, like yeah, the yeah. politics of it. Like, I think there is. It's not definitely you're not going to like it because possibly with the right group it'll be fine, uh, but. I think that there's a bit too much of this stuff going in there. And I think that it is a really, it is part of the joy. Like it is a genuinely political game that isn't about alliances and like making, like agreeing not to hurt each other quite as much. It's about being in a position in terms of your strength and relationship to other people and manipulating that around the structure of the system Mm -hmm. that we've built together 
um which is that's weird right like that's not what we normally talk about when we talk about games being political but i think it is it's true here this is about systems of power and how they fall apart and you are going to be playing a role in that when you play this game yeah yeah and, and i think that all of that really like i think that would sort of work on its own with you'd have to go into it and explain to players that that's what this game is about if this wasn't here but i think that the the reason that it all hangs together perfectly is about those those legacy elements. And I think we should wrap up just by briefly talking about how they work um, in the context of Oath, because I love the way that they frame the game rather than are the game, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, you're not just playing to see the new thing, you're playing to continue this this legacy boxed experience this this lineage almost there's not dramatic amounts of things well there's nothing you're going to destroy there's not stuff that you're going to bring into the game except for new cards so it's really just about shaping the world between games and those pacts between players those politics you know the idea that you're going to help someone win and then they're going to give you citizenship next game or that you want a certain player to win so that you can skew the deck towards a suit that you're particularly fond of or something that's come up in my most recent games so the way that the world is reset or the world, the way the world stays consistent between games is whoever's the winner at the end of the game, all of the sites that they rule go back into the box in a little world box that then gets dealt out at the start yeah. of the next game. So the world that they rule stays the same and also things shift upwards in, in power. This is my favorite thematic rule is that if like someone rules a site that's down in the hinterlands and then they win that game that site becomes the cradle the capital for the next game which i think is just delightful but so the way that this works is that um a lot of the sites that aren't ruled by the chancellor or the i keep saying chancellor the winning player get put in the bin but in one of my games most recently we had like a very similar map a few games in a row because the chancellor managed to stay keep in power basically they managed to win and hold control of this region and in the last game of it someone effectively threw the game just because they wanted to play a different game next time with new sites <laughs> which was wonderful yeah. because it meant that the whole world of that game just got binned and then the next game was like there are three sites they have one card in them each and everything else is unknown and it made the possibility space completely different and the game was so fresh the next time we played it because it was freed from this tyrannical grip of a, of a lineage of very successful yeah. chancellors. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. Yeah. Like, that was just fantastic. And there's a couple of other twists in there, like uh, whoever wins the game can sometimes build a, um, a building on certain sites that persist between games that give these very strange new powers. Um, and also some cards are going to get put into the dispossessed pile. So some all the losers' cards get shuffled together, and then six of them go out of the game forever you know they might get cycled back into the deck at a later date but it's unlikely and every game we were going through the cards that got binned and we were like oh but i love that card and you know cards that survived one game and then were lost because they just weren't useful um yeah. and that stuff's delightful and i think that's what ties it all together that's what keeps it being a game that you can get behind it having this political aspect to it because you can promise someone something in the next game and that's allowed you know yeah, um, that's not allowed. And it's not, it's delightful. no longer like because of the way that this works, it's like it's taken a load of aspects of what would normally be the metagame and made them the game, right? They they are yes. absolutely yeah, brought into putting, the yeah. game. Like it is not, it's not, you know, the, the fact, like I threw the game for Hal, right? I gave him the game. Mm -hmm. And then that then was like, 
he's going to be chancellor next round and it's like okay do you want to be a citizen and i'm like yeah of course i'm a citizen like that's what i've just done like that is the that is the history yeah, here yeah. i have i've helped you get into power so i owe you that right and the stories it tells aren't always the stories you think it's going to tell but boy does it mm-hmm. is it an engine for stories is it an engine yes. for like yep. the people around the table to be telling stories to each other about what they are doing and what they how they see the history of this span of time and like there's there's so many amazing things in there it has a bunch of you know it comes with caveats it comes with problems but i was thinking that like for me this game is meeting me where i'm at right now and i am loving it like even though a lot of my games i've actually had plenty of turns where i've been like i'm happy like I'm not doing things that are satisfying yeah. in a fair few yeah, games. Yeah. Like I've had wasted turns that have just felt pretty dull, but like the grand picture is that I can't stop thinking about it. And like, it is such an interesting thing. And you're so right about it being this engine for storytelling in the sense that every single game that I've played, I felt like was unique in not only the cards that came out, but in the story that came out of the game, even when the story of the game was the chancellor continues to rule their <laughs> land unopposed. <laughs> right. I think that in more ways than you might think, this game is a role-playing game. Yes. I mean, it's not necessarily fair all the time. The rules are a little bit oblique, and it depends on the group that you're playing with how much you're going to get out of it. So those are all like kind of downsides to it. But also, the stories you create are your own. I've written a thing previously in the past about the fact that with role playing, like one of the joys of it is that it's generally a lot of really bad acting, hackneyed plotting, like a narrative <laughs> that wouldn't play on the screen and wouldn't land as a as a film and people who try to make stories and write books out of their campaigns or even just try and tell you a story about their role playing game often those are the most boring stories to hear. But the reason why people share them so passionately is because they belong to them, right? <laughs> and mm. because they, we actually made that ourselves. And so it doesn't matter that every NPC had uh, the same Somerset accent. It doesn't matter that like <laughs> half of the time you were forgetting that you were supposed to say something in the voice of your character rather than just saying, I'm going to say this. Like all of those like <laughs> little details that don't quite land don't matter because you care so passionately about everything that happens because it is yours. And I think that mm-hmm. Oath manages to bring that into what is a me- deeply mechanical wargamey space, <laughs> right? Like, and that's that that that's what's so weird yeah. about it right is that we can talk about how it's kind of a role-playing game and then people <laughs> role-playing gamers might be like ah oh, great let's get into that and then you start <laughs> playing it and you're like oh my goodness there's a lot of little <laughs> rules in this thing um but you're right that it has that spirit of a role-playing yeah. game that's it's in the core of it especially in the way that victory conditions build towards that especially in the way that you can promise things in a legacy and especially even in the cards because the cards are so evocative like everything is it kind of makes sense what all of the cards do and you can tell a story about a thing a card that you got becomes a character like for example i had long lost air which meant that i could just become someone's <laughs> citizen without even asking which is just a hilarious setup for a game yeah. that like we started it and the chancellor was like right time to rule my land and i'm like hello <laughs> 
it's time for me to be a citizen now. And then they just wanted to get rid of me for the whole game. <laughs> and it, what a delightful setup. And it just builds into this like comedy, yeah. you know, by the end of it, of, of these roles overlapping. And like, I, I think people are going to, I like, I think this could potentially be something that will disappoint people because the expectations going into it are very hard to marry up with what you actually get out of it. But I think that the promise of those cards, the promise of that enormous deck of cards and the possibilities and the fact that you're going to be creating something that is your own, I think that if you are drawn to that side of it, which was what I was first drawn to when I first started reading about this game, Mm. I'd never really cared about the detail of the mechanics so much as being like can you pull off something that creates a non-campaign game that still feels like a history and yeah first impressions bearing in mind i might play another couple of games and absolutely hate it um (laughs) i've only played this twice that was in tts that was with someone helping me through the rule book and like one of those games i spent a lot of it having a bad time right (laughs) <laughs> i think despite all of that like it feels to me like it lives up to that promise and that is yes not what i was expecting frankly like i think that i no. always it always looked to me like it was like more than anyone could possibly chew and i think there's a chance that curl Welly's really done it um and i yeah. think he's i think he has given people what he wanted i don't think that's going to be what everyone who picks up this box is going to want so sure. I'm, I do want, we. I think we've been a bit too effusive and I want to have a note of, do think about whether you want this before you drop quite a lot of money on this big box of weirdness. Yeah, it's very expensive. Um, it's, it's definitely a thing where I, wherever I end up sitting with it, it's going to be one of those things where I, I will recommend it more, like, I'd recommend it for myself, hugely. <laughs> I I think that I'm getting exactly what I want out of that game, but I definitely agree that it's not going to meet people in the place they want it to, like strategically perhaps, or in a, in a lot of ways. I think people might be disappointed with what's in that box, but that's because they're coming at it with different expectations to what it is. Maybe I don't know. And you're right as well that like, so you've played two games of it, and the, those legacy elements are starting to show. I've played uh, eight games, I think now something like that, and. I've also, some of that legacy has started to really appear in the later stuff I've been playing, but also because it's been oscillating between different groups and because it's been a, there's been gaps between games and some have been digital and some have been in person, that's been lost a little bit. So I do need to see how that bears out over like 20 games, you know, to see how, whether it does continue to provide a compelling narrative and whether the game does grow into something because i'm worried about maybe if you keep adding similar suits does the game become so unfairly weighted to one side that it's borderline unplayable and there's no like big hard reset that you can do like canonically you'd just have to do it manually yeah i mean you can do a big hard reset it does include rules for how to be like let's start that's true true. start this from scratch um that's true but you kind of don't want that, right? It wants to ebb and flow. No, no. And I do worry about that. The fact that you've told me that the decks become so dominated by one thing. But then if that's the game that your people, your group wanted to create, then that's fine. But Yeah. It, and, and it's it's and it's funny. It's created this <laughs> horrible nightmare. Yeah, I can't believe that Order uh, is the one that people are rooting for. <laughs> uh, but then that's my anarchist 
ways again isn't it like always creeping up and making me think like what what are you talking about and i say that i mostly want i just want to have i just want to have a load of hearth cards there's one of the suits is called hearth cards are sweet and like it's like you mean i can try i can make this go i can make my game as cozy as yours is fascist (laughs) that sounds amazing (laughs) uh that will about wrap us up for this episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We've rambled for a long time about Oath. Um, you can hopefully expect a video review and I'm going to put soon TM like it will come out. I have just no idea when. <laughs> I need to play the game a bunch more. And also, if all of this is really intriguing you and you think that, hey, maybe this is the kind of game that I'll like, maybe it isn't, there is a fully featured, and it is, I believe, and I'm going to amend this if it isn't, a fully featured official TTS mod. And if you're not quite burned out on playing games digitally, then I would urge you to give it a go. Using the walkthrough makes the whole game a lot easier to work out whether it's for you before dropping coin on this uh, on these podcast rambles. Although it is worth noting that the walkthrough is very weird done digitally because... That's uh, true. But, you know, we'll leave the listeners to find that out for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do us. Any final, any final words, any final thoughts, Ava? I'm, I'm actually, I just, I'm turning my mic towards the camera, <laughs> my webcam. Um, I, you can't, I can't see, see me, you. I've got, you we're not on imagine. a webcam. We can't actually see each other. Um, <laughs> I, I, the, I'm annoyed that I didn't get to get in my thing about the fact that the cards kind of work like Texas Hold'em, except with there being multiple <laughs> rivers in the middle of the table that you can share sure. your cards with but like that's, that's not going to make any sense yep. without me actually explaining it any longer but we've definitely been talking too long so I'm not going to explain it anymore but weirdly poker weirdly poker thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next week bye, bye.